This is Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser, and I'm glad to get back to this series where we explore and expand on what it takes to create meaningful and truly transformative educational experiences without ever stepping foot in the classroom. Student engagement is at the heart of our efforts as teaching faculty, doing our very best to attract and retain our students' interest and desire to explore the disciplines and topics that brought them and us to the post-secondary environment in the first place. With the transition to online learning, and in thinking to the future of what our post-pandemic learning environments might look like, we need to reassess what we do when it comes to student engagement. Are we doing enough in our teams and Zoom meetings to excite, surprise, and facilitate rich discussions around course topics? Are students turning off their mics, their cameras, and then dropping out entirely? We know some faculty, and in fact, some disciplines have a harder time at holding students' interest than others, and it's not their fault. The way we've been teaching face-to-face classes for many years just does not lend itself to the online learning environment. And so we need to change things up. In speaking with faculty through the last two semesters, I know there's been huge efforts made to get creative. And in this episode, we wanna highlight an innovative and entirely uncomplicated teaching method a former faculty member of CBU used to great effect in his time here. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Pat Mayer, Dean of Teaching at Nipissing University. Pat made the move to Nipissing after teaching at Cape Breton University for several years in the School of Arts and Social Sciences Community Studies program. He's a 3M National Teaching Fellow, Royal Canadian Geographic Society Fellow. In his time here at CBU, he held a university teaching chair position in community-engaged teaching and scholarship, as well as a Shirk Exchange University Research Chair in the Social Sciences and Humanities. We talk about our time together when he ran his sports and physical activity leadership course, Critical Approaches to Outdoor Studies, under CBU's 3C model, which at the time brought students into the classroom from off-campus using video conferencing tools. He used expert knowledge and experience from close contacts and colleagues all over the world immersed in the outdoor education and recreation sector to bring his course material alive each week, and we thought it was something you'd like to hear about. Take a listen, and I hope you enjoy our discussion. Um, So I'm the Dean of Teaching uh, at Nipissing University. Um, What I do uh, on a day-to-day basis, I sort of, through the pandemic, have been the, the Dean of Blackboard managing all things uh, technical and, and, and online learning wise. Um, you know, I, I work at Nipissing University and we've got a brand new teaching hub. Um, and so I sort of oversee that at a strategic level, but also uh, at an operational level. Um, my relationship to CBU is that I was a faculty member, department chair, research chair, teaching chair, etc., cetera, um, over a five-year span, uh, and I left uh, CBU in the fall of 2019. So w- when you were at CBU, um, we were running a, uh, a 3C program. For your classes that you were running, you know, one of the really interesting activities that we observed and thought was 
just a, a fantastic way of designing a course was bringing guest speakers into your class. Now, when we say bring guest speakers into the class, are we talking about people live walking into the classroom and uh, speaking face to face with students? No. So for my for my course, which was a spell course on critical approaches to outdoor studies, um, it was about bringing uh, guest speakers in via a, a number of technologies, right? So it was uh, at one point it was through Facebook Live before they got in trouble for privacy concerns. Uh, after that, it was uh, via YouTube or or a number of other technologies, and so it was kind of like a pre-COVID version of what's been happening during this pandemic, right? So it's been allowing people to come in using video conferencing technology. Um, bring them into the classroom, have them give a lecture or some sort of other course component. Um, and, and for me, it was about, you know, there's a lot of great people out there all over the world. And I'm not the expert on all things outdoor studies, but I know a lot of people through my international networks. And this was an opportunity to sort of connect them into my classroom bring that expertise from that world expert into my classroom and then mold that into something that was um, useful for CBU students and, and other students, because as you said, at the time um, it was being offered on a, on a three C model. And so we had students, you know, tuning in for those lectures from Ghana, from Fort McMurray, Alberta, from, from all over the place. What sort of benefits do, you know, the, the students see when you're pulling from all different parts of the globe, pulling this external knowledge into the classroom? I think the students really see that their, their learning and their professor or their university is connected to a bigger global conversation, right? Like these aren't just topics that are important to Pat and the students in Sydney and, and, and you know, even within Canada, but they're global conversations. And so for my particular course, the way that it was sort of set up and structured was um, about five years ago, there was this really good uh, international handbook of outdoor studies published. And that sort of gave a, you know, an outline, a rough outline of here's some topics that matter internationally. And so what I was able to do um, with that class is sort of shoulder tap a, a couple of my friends and, and folks that had written chapters for that book and say, hey, can you come have a conversation, you know, with my students about gender inequity in the outdoors? You know, as a, as a cisgender white middle-aged man, I'm not the one who should talk about that, right? It's probably more appropriate for um, some of my colleagues that have 40-year histories um, writing and researching about this. Or, you know, they're talking about the way that uh, that kids get out in nature much differently in, in Scandinavia than they do in Canada. So let's get one of my colleagues from Norway or Sweden or Denmark to come in and talk about that. Um, or, you know, forest schools in the UK or, or any number of subjects. So I want to talk about preparation. Um, did it require a lot of preparation on the part of your guests? Did it require a lot of preparation for, you know, you, uh, somebody who was bringing somebody in the classroom, and then also for your students? I'm really curious about what work needed to go into, um, you know, this experience before they were actually in the classroom. Yeah, I think I needed to like I needed to have uh, a well thought out plan 
prior to the semester, right? This wasn't just something I was dreaming up on September 8th to roll out on September 9th or whatever else. It, it did take me probably, you know, a couple months of preparation because what I wanted to do with all of this was line up some experts that I thought would be valuable to the class, but also let the class have, have a, a bit of a say, right? So I loosely knew what international speakers I was going to bring into the classroom, but I still wanted to have that check-in with the students once they'd looked at, say, the table of contents for that international handbook and see what topics were they interested in, in talking about. And so, I mean, on that, in that sense, it, that's unique to sort of an upper year seminar class. I don't think I would do that with a large first year class. Um, but in terms of the prep work, it was, you know, it was setting those expectations with a number of my friends and colleagues. And so it does start with myself as the instructor having sort of a web of colleagues, right? And friends who I can call on and say, hey, you know what? I, I think I'd like you to give a talk in this class, you know, sometime in the fall semester. I can't give you the dates until a little bit closer to um, the time and things like that. And I really did start it as a conversation around, look, you wrote this great chapter for this international handbook. That's likely what I would like you to talk about. And if you're interested in talking about that, great. But if you want to take it on a new spin, right, something's changed from when that handbook came out in 2016 to 2021, by all means. So I, so I kind of gave them a little bit of, of carte blanche in terms of what's easiest for you? Do you have a presentation that matches your chapter? Do you have a presentation that matches where that chapter's gone in the preceding five years? Or do you have a presentation about something completely different? And so for me, the preparation was touching base with them, getting a rough sense of whether they're interested, whether they'd like to be lined up, you know, checking in with the students at the very, very beginning of the term. And then immediately after that, like locking down specific dates for specific speakers, right? And, and it was all a, a juggling act because, you know, I had speakers come into the class from Tasmania, from Melbourne, Australia, um, from the UK, from British Columbia. So I was dealing with all kinds of time zones. Um, some of the speakers came in uh, live and sort of did a live lecture, just as you would do with Zoom or Teams or whatever, share your screen, talk to it for 50 minutes, and we're done. Um, other speakers, you know, wanted to have much more just a conversation with the students. And so the expectation was, Here's, the, here's my chapter and here's some other readings and I'll come in for the class after you've read that and lead a discussion. And so they led the discussion with the students and some just because of the nature of, of time zones, you know, had to do a pre-recorded thing, right? Had to send a video that was essentially like the video conferencing call. But then most of the ones that were pre-recorded also offered up you know what, if your students have any questions after the fact, because our time zones are so different, tell them to email me. I'll happily engage with your students after the fact. That's really cool. Uh, can I ask, how many people would you, on average, end up asking to be a part of this experience um, versus how many were able to dedicate that uh, amount of time um, and, and interface with your students? Um, I would, this is a total guess, but I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, I, I, I never wanted to fill more than, say, uh, eight to ten 
lectures or weeks of the class with this. So I wasn't looking to do every single week. So I would say to, to fill that eight to 10 weeks, I probably talked to maybe 15 or 16 of my colleagues, kind of double the amount. Um, pretty much in, in every single case, everyone was, was keen. I don't think I got a single nah, not interested uh, response from any of my colleagues. And, and I think that's all based on my personal relationships with them, giving them enough uh, lead-in time, working with their schedules, et cetera. So, so in some cases, I felt like at the end of the day, I may have had too many, <laughs> but it just opened it up so that CBU students and, and any other students that were tuning in, you know, had this great international experience. And, and I feel like it probably gives some really nice value in terms of these were the papers that I was going to assign for this course anyway. These were the chapters or associated readings that I was going to assign. And so what, what bringing these guest lecturers in gave them a real personal sense of, oh, you know, Simon Beams is a real person and he writes really well on adventure and society, but he's also a quirky, funny guy. And it was so cool to have a, a real live interaction with him versus just I read his paper, I liked it, I thought it was a neat thing, um, et cetera. I did find, um, a, as a witness to these classes, that your students, you know, they came into that class, the class that the, the speaker was going to uh, join them with, a, you know, a real sense of who the guest was prior to the event. And in some cases, they were rather excited. They were really kind of uh, energized to get to talk to this person and I do want to ask, what did you require of your students uh, to prepare for, you know, prior to a guest coming in? Did they have to come up with questions or read an article or what have you? Yeah, so it was a little bit of a balancing act, and it wasn't the same for every single guest speaker. But I would say, in general, what it looked like is, you know, when I had my own act together, it was, uh, you know, maybe a week before that guest lecturer was coming, you know, I posted, uh, you know, here's the bio or here's the link to, uh, you know, John Quay's website or here's the link to that individual. Um, and here are a few readings um, from them. And so what I had asked of my guest speakers is beyond the chapter that you wrote in the book, send me one or two readings that you'd really like the students to, to know or to understand before you give your lecture, or before you talk to them. So there was always that sort of week or two in advance prep work for the students. Um, I never specifically said, you know, have a couple questions ready, et cetera. But I think that the, the overall sense was that it was kind of a, a unique experience, a bit of a privilege to have all these international guests come into our class. We can't just come and sit there and blankly stare at the screen. So, so we need to have done a little bit of prep work. And, and I think, you know, we have great students um, in the SPAL program and in, in BACS in general, and, and they always tend to be well prepared. So I, I don't think this course was outside the norm um, in that respect. But I think what was what was interesting is, you know, it was just such a such a unique experience that they wanted to take full advantage of this. And 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 I'll say, 
you know, some students, like in any class, take more advantage of asking questions and interacting with, with the prof or, or whatever. And, you know, in the first time that I ran this particular course with guest speakers, we just had a superbly keen student who asked a million questions and posted all kinds of information on the discussion boards for the course. So um, partially it was this organic snowball, right? They just got more and more into it. And I tried to I tried to get speakers who, you know, I knew quite well. I knew they were going to be an engaging speaker, um, you know, and things like that. Hi, folks. We're looking for new topics and new people to interview for Beyond the Class. So if you're a faculty member or your work, research, or interests intersect with online teaching and learning, we want to hear from you. Also, if you have a burning question about how to connect with your students more effectively online, send us an email. Reach out at ctl at cbu.ca and let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast. Or if you, yes you, would like to be on an episode. Now back to our conversation. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done any follow-up since sort of leaving CBU about where those students have gone. But my suspicion would be that they've, you know, probably engaged with the conversation still. Um, and I think if I were to do this this all again, there there are ways that I would try to continue that conversation. So the first time that I ran that course in the 3C model, we did it through Facebook. Now, privacy-wise, we can't do that again. But I think that there are some real benefits to connecting some of this into the social media landscape. Um, so whether that is, you know, here's my course and I have some guest speakers and it's based in the LMS, but I'm going to start a Twitter conversation, right? And I'm going to put, you know, hashtag spell 4170 or whatever. And I'm going to, when, when a speaker comes in and they talk, I'm going to link them because most of the speakers are, are professionally on Twitter or LinkedIn or things like that. So I'm going to connect to them uh, on that level and bring that into the to the class as a follow up, as a next step. Um, and and I, I never really saw this, you know, coming to fruition from from my time at CBU. But certainly my hope would have been that, you know, as as we teach this course more often and we have these guest speakers from all over the world, that, that maybe some students see where those profs work or, or the institutions they're at or the programs that they teach into, um, that's a viable option for graduate studies, right? So it was partially a, a little bit of a connection to the next, uh, the next level. Um, you know, when you, when you broadcast speakers in and they were doing um, uh, like a live talk or lecture through, uh, you know, I think we were using Skype for Business at the time, um, were you recording those at all, uh, or were the resources, uh, developed through the class that were able to use later on, or, you know, did that kind of violate some sort of sense of, of, uh, uh, spontaneity and, and live? I think that that's, that's something you have to negotiate sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, running these guest lectures through the, that three C model of courses that I, I really had a sense of, you know, there was going to be something live. 
I needed to record it so that it was there for students who were in a different time zone for equity purposes, for accessibility purposes, um, and so that it was somewhere, it lived somewhere uh, in an asynchronous world as well. So yeah, all of those guest lectures um, were, were recorded. And I think the, the 2017 version still lives on a private Facebook uh, group. Uh, I think probably the 2019 version that was run um, only through the LMS. I'm not sure where those recordings uh, live anymore, but but yeah, I, I definitely it was purposeful to to offer them, to record them. Now we never went back and did any editing, so they were just as they were presented, and partially that was so that the remote students could hear the questions that the students in person were asking. Um, with, with that particular class, because it was situated in the, in the special room there, um, you know, there were all kinds of signs that said, you know, you're giving your consent to be recorded, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the students also, um, you know, shifted their perspective perceptions and or were more comfortable at different individual levels because you could see that based on where they sat in the room when the recording was happening and so you know they would be the back of their head or whatever would be on camera or wouldn't be on camera and because there was that two-way possibility I mean they could ask questions of the speaker in UK who would respond and then that would get recorded and then the student in Ghana would listen to it 24 hours later. <laughs> so it was an effective strategy for the spell class that you were running here. Have you been able to revisit that at all this activity, you know, since since running those classes in 2019? Um, I haven't sort of uh, explicitly done it again. I mean, I've I've sort of worked it into other classes that I've taught. Um, at other institutions. Now, I haven't taught at Nipissing since arriving because of my role as dean, but then also because then we ran into this pandemic. Um, but I've certainly brought, um, you know, one for sort of guest guest lectures into a number of other classes, but I didn't do it as explicitly sort of like, you know, the entire term, all 12 weeks, you know, a blend of eight to 12 guest speakers, um, et cetera. I think one of the biggest pieces was the, the content area of that SPAL course lent itself to sort of a modularized setup where, you know, let's talk about this topic. Okay, done with that topic. Let's talk about this topic. Okay, done with that topic. There was sort of like, as a fourth year seminar course, it was trying to get a sprinkle of outdoor studies across the spectrum. And so it lent itself to that really nicely. And then the, the job for me was to try to tie everything all together for the students, right? So that it wasn't just disconnected module with one guest lecture to another. And can I ask, how did you do that? How were you able to, to, to synthesize those ideas and, and individual perspectives of the guest lectures? Yeah, I mean, I think I was able to do it because I was present for all of the classes, right? So it's not like the guest, the guest lecturer had full control and I wasn't even in the room or on the video conference. So I was always there, just like the students. And so as the discussions moved along, I could always be, hey, remember when uh, Heidi talked about this three weeks ago or when, you know, this will probably come up again when Phil talks in, you know, a week and a half. Um, so because I was always present, I could do that. I also, um, 
I bookended the course. So, you know, I, I gave an intro lecture. I did a concluding lecture. And on a week-to-week basis, because it was set up, um, you know, in two hour and a half chunks, there was the guest lecturer who was always coming in for one of those. But the other one was always a discussion that included me and the students and occasionally did include that guest speaker again, depending on their avail- availability. So. Um, I think it was my intentionality and and the presence of always being there to help the students as as well as having those bookends that that really gave that this is a continuing thread, just not not just one off um, points in time. There's actually uh, it was great to see there was another faculty member. It was Graham Reynolds when he was doing um, the uh, the Viola Desmond course that we had here. Um, and uh, he he would have Wanda Robson, Viola's sister. Uh, come in, but he had uh, great researchers and colleagues um, that, you know, they were touching on all these different topics and he was bringing them in sometimes in person, but sometimes um, via Skype for Business, Teams, what have you, and uh, found that, you know, it was it was very effective and, and it did a lot of the same thing. It really does, I think, feel sometimes like it's an elongated conference, Right that people are coming in, you're meeting, there's actually some socialization, they can see you, uh, and, um, and that you just get all of these different perspectives on one cohesive thing. So- yeah, I think, and one of the pieces too is, is the way that I did the initial setup was not sort of in unique silos. Like, it's not like I, I asked one lecturer if they would do it, and then I asked another, and then I asked another. I actually asked it as a mass email to like 14 of my international colleagues. And so they already had a sense of who else might be in the room. And so because they all knew each other, there was the ability for not only was I the only connective thread, but then, you know, if I had Phil talking and Phil knows Simon and Phil knows Heidi and knows that they've been in the two weeks before and six weeks before, then they'll actually make some of those connections for me, right? And they'll speak to how their work relates to someone else's work and things like that. So by being very sort of open and transparent in the planning of it all, um, I I think that also helped. Would there be any... um... I don't know. It could be technological considerations. It could be um, things to be concerned with in the planning, or maybe some um, uh, pitfalls or things you might avoid. Were you to do it again? Is there anything, any advice, I guess, that you could you could give on on using guest speakers in the class? Yeah, I, I mean, I think my advice would be, you know, there, there's almost if you know the people, like if you have a good network of of international colleagues or or even national or provincial colleagues there's kind of no harm in trying it, right? Like there, there, there is very little risk. Maybe the technology craps out for a particular lecture, but, you know, you can fix that. You can say, sorry, we're going to reschedule for, you know, two weeks later or, or whatever needs to happen. So I would say there, there weren't a lot of pitfalls. Um, I would say then just, you know, go ahead and try it. And now it was, you know, in, in, the, in the two times that I ran this SPAL course, um, the first time was great. There was a ton of engagement because of how it was situated within Facebook, right? It felt like there was less engagement the second time because um, the ability of students to, to easily connect with the discussions um, was hampered a little bit when we went to using the LMS versus using social media. But I think the second time around, 
it was way easier to to approach my my international colleagues. They knew what I was asking for. They had the canned lecture that they gave two years earlier. All of them sort of redid it or rejigged it, right? So they didn't just give the same one. Um, but you know, there was also recordings that I already had in case, you know, Professor X said, I can't do it this year. And the student said, but we really want to hear that topic. Then I could, I could sort of roll with that. So I think the more you do it and build up that, that toolkit of contacts, of, of uh, recorded lectures, of just seeing how different components of the technology can and do interact, I think it, it, it just becomes better over time. In your time since COVID-19 started, when it hit, I guess, ha- have, has anybody reached out to you? Have you been finding at all in your own institution uh, that there has been some sort of uh, connectivity or exchange through platforms like this? Yeah, I think, I think what I did in 2017 and 2019 you know, it didn't feel cutting edge to me, but maybe it was cutting edge. Now it feels like it's just normalized, right? Like people are bringing in guest lectures all over the place, having digital resources, um, you know, asking a colleague to give a guest lecture, even though they're in Tasmania and you're in uh, in Toronto. I mean, lots of that and the notion of webinars and things like that has just become more normalized. Um, the only cautionary tale I would uh, I would say is, you know, there still needs to be the connection for a real, genuine, authentic um, lecture or engagement. Like what I wouldn't want to see is I'm going to do what Pat's presenting by just finding a whole bunch of different random YouTube videos and throwing those into my course, because I don't think that that offers the same value um, because students could just do that on their own time anyway. It's about having the unique purpose-built guest lecture versus, oh, I can find a great seminar from this person and that person and that person. And, and I think there's there's lots of spin-off possibilities too. Like I, I, I'm giving an example of what worked for my specific content area in the context of 2017 or 2019 and, and what kind of resourcing you need to do up front or activity prep you need to do up front. But there's all kinds of ways that you, that you could uh, change that around. And, and I think too, as more and more faculty are more and more comfortable with a wide range of these video conferencing tools, the possibilities are really endless. Like I know an, a lot of colleagues who, you know, were supposed to be on sabbatical through this COVID-19. So now they can't go to wherever and, and, and offer a guest lecture or do whatever. So they've put it out there to various social media to say, hey, like I'm on sabbatical in this in this crazy pandemic world. Um, if anybody wants me to to give a talk to their students, please just let me know because, you know, A, I don't have to travel to you anymore so we can save all kinds of money. And B, you know, I have a little bit more flexibility in my own time, right? Pat, do you have any other parting thoughts for faculty that might be interested in trying this out themselves? I don't think so. I mean, I think for um, parting topic, parting thoughts would just be try it, do it. Um, there, there's kind of no um, reason not to. And and I think the, I think it was just a win-win-win across all kinds of different spheres. I mean, it was a win for me because 
I can't be the expert on all things. These colleagues are experts in their in their own things, and bringing them into my classroom just showcases the international conversation. It's a win for the students because I think you know they get a ton out of it by meeting these different people, and it's not just always Pat talking at them, even if he only has a sideline um, level of expertise in this area. And I think it's a win for the for the guest speakers themselves. I mean, because for some of them, it's nice to be asked to be part of some international collaboration. And the first year that I did it, um, we actually like, you know, a month after the class was done and the term was over, you know, we created some certificates for folks, right? So we, we sent them a, a, basically a thank you card um, that said, you know, so-and-so gave a talk into this particular course. Um, it was very much appreciated. And, and I think in, in some respects, that's valuable for people's tenure and promotion and, and whatnot in the academic sphere. But I think it's also just, it was easy to ask those people to do it again in 2019 when they felt so, so celebrated for doing it the first time. That's a really good point. And I think, you know, it can, um, it seems to me anyway, that it can help strengthen bonds between you and those colleagues in other places, right? You're not just going to see them in the next conference. You've actually invited them into your classroom and you're kind of, they're getting a sense of how you teach and how you interact with your students as well. It's good for the institutions. It's good for, you know, your university and for their university and strengthening bonds between those institutions, you know, saying, yep, actually we've had two of our faculty members do a very extreme version of co-teaching, you know, in, in some capacity, right? So I think that that there's some value there as well. Now it does leave me on the hook to give like eight to 10 other guest lectures at some point when, when the call comes back the other way. And I'd say three or four of my colleagues have, have, have done that since 2017 onwards. Um, but I think also there was, uh, you know, there was very little pressure in terms of, I need you to talk about this. It has to be on this day, et cetera, because I was open to what works for you. The, and, and, and I'd set some of that up in the, in the pre-structuring of the course, right? Like I purposely needed the course to be, you know, in the middle of the day, Nova Scotia time, so that it was still okay for me to get the BC lecturers and still okay for me to ask someone in Norway, right? So, so I did need to know that things um, logistically were set up beforehand. So Pat, I just want to th say thank you so much for uh, joining us and telling us about this classroom activity. I, I think there's so much potential here and um, really saw how effective and meaningful uh, it was as a tool for engaging um, both your, your students, but then uh, engaging your you know, wider professional sphere too. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure, AJ, um, and, and happy to take any questions from, uh, from CBU faculty um, moving forward and, uh, yeah, helping showcase uh, this sort of pedagogical uh, ideal uh, at other levels. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Uh, they can just reach out to me uh, via email, patmayer at nipissingu.ca, or find me on Twitter or, or uh, various other places. Great. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, AJ. You've been listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. As always, I want to give a shout out to my technical support buddies that helped us launch almost a year ago, Chris Jones and Herbie Sokoloskis. 
Herbie's moving on to work on some great projects with a great local company, Nova Stream. So we want to wish him the best of luck and thanks for all he's done for our department and for CBU. We've been blessed to add more amazing people to our CTL team over this last year. And I want to give a shout out to our awesome crew, Nicole, Debbie, Laura, Rod, our fearless leader, and especially Terry McDonald, who puts up with me hour by hour, day in and day out. Thank you to Pat for agreeing to lend his smarts to this episode. Nipissing is lucky to have you and all the brilliant ideas and passion you bring to the classroom. Remember, if you work, research, or your interests intersect with online teaching and learning, we want to hear from you about your ideas for a new podcast episode. I'm AJ Fraser. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up again soon.